Every year, companies invest millions of dollars into research and development for new and upcoming chemistries for agriculture. Today, joining us on FieldLink is Dr. Aaron Hurt. Dr. Hurt will share some critical insight on how Helena approaches the research and development of new and unique products. Then, Jody Lawrence will join us from Nashville to provide us a commodity update. And finally, Resurge is the featured product for this month. Ben Wiggins, a research and development specialist at Helena, uh, will share his story on how this unique product was developed and brought to the marketplace for agriculture and the specialty market. Stay tuned for FieldLink. Joining us today here on FieldLink uh, is Aaron Hurt. Uh, Dr. Aaron Hurt is the uh, head of research and development here at the Helena Products Group. And Aaron, uh, welcome uh, to FieldLink. Thank you very much. Aaron, tell us a little bit, uh, before we dive in about your department, some of the things you do in research and development for the Helena Products Group, um, tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Grew up in Illinois. Okay. Corn and beans. Corn and bean country. Did you grow up on a farm then? I did not. Okay. Where did you go to school? So I went to the University of Florida for my master's and my PhD in plant pathology. Okay. So I grew up in Illinois and went to the University of Florida and uh, studied there in plant pathology, right? Plant pathology. Okay. And after that, did you work in industry for a while? So right out of grad school, I actually got lucky enough to jump into industry, working with Syngenta for five seasons before I joined Helena. Okay, awesome. And where did you do that geographically? So I was in Florida down in Vero Beach. They have a research station there that I worked out. I was one of the plant pathologists there on on station. Okay, and what was your first role with Helena then as you made that transition? So I jumped from Florida all the way out to California. Wow, wow. Decided to expand my horizons a bit and play around with some uh, new diversity of Crops. Okay, so Aaron, tell me, tell us a little bit about some of the crops and uh, you know some of the geographies that you worked uh, in California. So um, I, we covered. So my my role in when I moved to California was a research and development contract researcher. Okay. So what that means is we're working with all of industry to perform trial work for them for developing their technologies. So we worked in the Central Valley, the Central Coast, and and uh, we worked with everything from. Almonds to alfalfa. Wow. Pretty much the spectrum. Obviously, grapes is in there. Uh, There's plenty of tomatoes in that area, lettuce. So we did the variety. A a wide range of crops, certainly in California. You know, uh, the number get thrown around two, three hundred crops. It's just a lot of different things. Yes, sir. You certainly got an opportunity to work in that market uh, along with your Florida market. And, of course, growing up in Illinois, you know, having a lot of experience in corn and beans. So you're definitely qualified to cover a lot of different crops or at least – be able to have the conversation. Sure can. Yeah. Aaron, tell us a little bit about uh, your role here at uh, the Helena Products Group, what you do in R&D. What's, what's your group's mission? So research and development is really about developing the technologies that come to us to validate those technologies. So it's all about demonstrating the value that these technologies potentially can bring to the market. Mm-hmm. We want to be able to demonstrate that value. So the better we understand them, the better we can evaluate and demonstrate that. So our customer, which can be both internal-focused and external focus can be satisfied that we've really determined that there is a value there that that's worth um, worth investing in. Yeah, just uh, you know, at the end of the day, you're validating. You know, does this product really bring value to the grower or to the uh, turf uh, customer or to the ornamental customer uh, at the end of the day? Exactly. Well, so let's talk a little bit about the wide range of research products. How many products do you typically look at in a season? So. Uh, we're we're right now probably 50 plus 
technologies that we're looking at across all categories. That's everything from crop protection, whether it's fungicide, insecticides, seed treatments, herbicides, adjuvants. Then you cross over into your crop production products, your nutrients, your, your Coron uh, technology that we have. There are starter fertilizers. So we cover the gamut, and uh, wow. it's pretty widespread across all those those departments. And, and Aaron, is it in a wide range of crops and cropping systems that you're evaluating these products with? Yeah, so last year we, we had over 48 different crop or cropping systems that we evaluated those wow. technology crops. And what's the range of those kind of crops? I mean, it, it's all across the U.S. It really depends year to year where that goes sure. based on where those projects are going to be focused. So some, if it's a California market, you can imagine the cropping, the crop variety in California we may have to focus on. Uh, but generally, it's the main five, six crops, corn, cotton, beans, rice, mm-hmm. um, sugar cane, you know, those kind of crops. Okay. But certainly into the specialty market, we can get into tomatoes and, and uh, melons and strawberries, strawberries and yeah, blueberries. And, <laughs> and especially as we are looking more and more into the organic product market, we're definitely touching more of those specialty crops on the coast. Wow. It, it, it t- yeah, I know. Organic is a hot word, obviously, in some markets, and, and, it, and it's really continuing to grow. Uh, what kind of organic activity are you guys seeing uh, from a research standpoint? Is there more interest in that area? Absolutely. And definitely in crop production, we've had products in the market for quite a while that, that fit that category. But on crop protection, that's more challenging to see to get a product that's consistent. So that's our challenge today is to really look at products that are consistently performing so that we can bring it to the customer and, and know that there's value there that's, that they can count on. For sure. So, uh, Aaron, tell us a little bit about your team here in Memphis, uh, your research and development team. How, how many staff members do you have and how are they broken up? So right now we have three technical development managers and okay. they're responsible for working with brand to develop the protocols, to, to put out the field test into our, our field. So for us, that means that we're working with third party professional contract researchers. Okay. So we're looking at non-biased evaluation of our technologies to give us real work conditions in those field trials. Um, so they work closely with those folks through the season. We, we visit trials during the season, um, but they're also in turn coming back and, and summarizing the information and then presenting that back to brand to helpfully make some good technical decisions on where we're at with these development products. The three technical development managers that we have on our team, um, we have two in crop protection and one in crop production currently. So Ben Wiggins is our crop production currently. Okay. We, we have another person going to join us soon oh, great. to fill that, that open role. We have two in crop protection. We have Bradley Greer and we have Clay Perkins. Oh, wow. And so those two are PhDs. Ben has a, got his master's degree. So we're using and hedging our bets on their, their expertise for, for uh, testing. For testing, and they're working with, as you mentioned, those third-party uh, researchers across the nation. And how many researchers ballpark are, are, are you working with on a typical annual basis? So we're close to 100 every year. Wow. Uh, last year we were 111. This year right now with just our testing, we're at 70. Okay. Uh, but our total testing really includes our technical service managers in the field who are also doing some development work and more product support. So you combine those together and we're over 100. And that's obviously a third-party research would be a lot of independence, but you have some university research in there as well. Absolutely. Yeah, we uh, we did 22 states worth of university testing okay. last year. So we have, and that's some cases that's multiple universities, typically that's an individual university each state. Aaron, you know, broadly speaking, what's the power of using third-party research uh, for, for a lot of these trials that you're describing? You know, what, what's the value of that? So they're really a critical part of the process, and it's important because we need professionals who are 
who are replicating what a grower would see in the field. They're working in, in real world conditions in, in the field. They're experts in their field for evaluating those technologies. So they're pathologists, they're weed scientists, they're entomologists, they're agronomists by training. So they know how to evaluate these crops to, to make sure we're getting good data from, from uh, our work. Wow. And uh, how many, I guess, treatments do you typically do in a year? You mentioned, I think you said 40, or excuse me, 100 researchers roughly uh, last year, or 111, I think was the number. Uh, how many entries or how many trials were you actually doing? We were just under 600 last year. Wow. And we're tracking similar this year and probably a little over that. My goodness, that's a lot of content that you're certainly working there. Aaron, walk us through a, a typical year or a typical season uh, as a developer, research and developer for the Helena Products Group. Walk us through that journey. All right, I'll start off obviously in January here. So for us, uh, as, we're, as we're beginning the year, we're really focused on looking at the data from the prior year, summarizing that and understanding where are we in the development process for each pro, uh, project that we have in our portfolio. Uh, so at that point, we'll, we'll meet with brand and develop protocols. We'll get those approved. We'll get those distributed to our researchers across the U.S. And that's important that we do that early in the season, up until about March. And, right. And really the cutoff is the end of April. Okay. Uh, as we're starting to plant, that really gets fill, filled. So um, our focus really early is, is to communicate that well with our researchers, set, set our, ourselves up for a good season where we got space in the fields for those primary researchers because they are popular and they do good work. Uh, as we go into the season, we, we switch modes into field days. We have one here at the Agri Center. Sure. So we'll be focused on, on setting that up, prepping that to bring in our internal folks and some external customers to view some of the technology that we're bringing to the market. So that's another exciting time, very busy time. As well, as at that same moment, we're really starting to look at when is the proper time to go view some of these trials across the U.S. Right. So we'll get together as a group and, and determine who's going to which business unit. We can start setting priorities for which trials to view. Um, so through the summertime, that's a big focus is field day and, and, and trial visits. That's where your team's actually boots on the ground, meeting with these 100 plus uh, researchers across the nation, uh, walking trials. Just, you know, a, a product may perform one way in Georgia, but maybe differently in Idaho, for example. Yeah. And as much as we love the researchers we work with, sometimes eyes on is so much better than just seeing a report at the end of the year. Right. So it's important that we know where those high, high value uh, trials are so that we can get our eyes on, get brand out there with us. Let's look at it together. Let's see, make sure we're seeing what we think we do out of the, out of the field. Um, as we get towards this time of year, data is starting to flow in. So okay. now, now we're collecting that data from, the, from that season. We're summarizing. We're putting those together to present the brand so that we can make an informed decision about where we are with those projects, whether two years is, is enough or we need to go three, four, depending on mm -hmm. on that, that project specifically. Uh, so the year stays pretty busy. We don't have a lot of downtime, um, but that's, that is what ag is. So. Right, right. And I think it's important for our listeners to understand that, you know, out of these 100 trials, 600 different, uh, you know, uh, experiments that are taking place out there, applications or so, uh, all of that data is coming back for you and your team and your colleagues to really uh, filter, uh, really, and, and evaluate and say, did it do what we expected it to do? Exactly. And, and, and walk us through that process. How do you download that information to the team? So I think the first step is really to look at the data and quality itself to make right. sure that we're not looking at muddy data, that we've got some error in there. So the first thing is to really 
talk that speak with the researcher, make sure that they didn't have any issues that maybe wasn't captured in the environmental issues, that sort of thing. There's a lot. We've seen a lot of irregular weather over the last several years that right. could all impact these things. So we just need to be really aware of those challenges they may have faced as we're starting to evaluate that data. Uh, then as we start to look at trends across all our locations for an individual project, we may test them between four and six, even up to 12 locations. So we can look at consistency across the, those geographies. Um, once we can see those trends, then we'll, we'll meet with uh, the brand team to really relay what we're seeing. If there's any watchouts we need to be aware of, we need to maybe focus in on uh, going forward to make sure we don't have any surprises once we get commercial with any of these technologies. Definitely a lot of minds, you know, working on these projects. It's not a one and done, is it? Absolutely not. You know, roughly how long, uh, I guess, does it take to do research, uh, as you see it, uh, to bring a product uh, to the marketplace at Helena? Typically, it's two to three years. Okay. We, we have some that extended beyond that, but uh, we really need to trust yet verify. So we're not really taking the early, early stage of development and discovering new active ingredients, but we're sure. incorporating technologies from many different places to create a, a unique opportunity in the market. Usually we're adding value from um, a lot of different places and, and certainly our, our lab has to a top-notch staff that can help us to, to identify what things can add some additional value. Yeah, I think that's a really critical point. You've got the uh, brand team and of course the, the laboratory team that's really collaborating with you to, you know, Let's get it in the right ballpark uh, to begin with before we go to the field and do these research trials. And then let's really evaluate that over the next couple of years in many cases. Exactly. Awesome. Um, well, where do you foresee the future uh, going with research and development? As What are some new trends that you're picking up in the, the marketplace? Well, I certainly think that that organic side of things is definitely a hot topic right now and just being able to fill the needs of the market. Um, so that's definitely a focus on crop protection. And I, right now, I would say that's probably more focused on the fungicide side. It's difficult to create an organic herbicide, and insecticides are, are similarly challenging. So that's probably on the crop protection side where we're, we see a lot of movement. Crop production, I think um, we're just continuing to expand on filling in um, the gaps that we have in our portfolio. Sure. And, and looking for those opportunities and products that can leave us in a unique proposition so that we can find a, a good solution at all levels, not just at, at, the, at the high end, but if, for each grower's needs. We're very prescriptive in, in the way we, uh, we work, and so we need to provide solutions that can fit those prescriptions as they find need. Right. And, and definitely, uh, you know, just a lot of uniqueness out there. Uh, it's an evolving area, isn't it? I mean, who would have ever thought biologicals? the level that we're hearing that term and, and, and even in our own portfolio uh, is expanding and exploding in lots of different areas. They're gaining legitimacy too. I think there's a lot of snake oils out there in the past, the yep. one and done one year and they're disappearing. That can be a, a real detriment to the opportunity for, for these biologicals in the marketplace. And I think we're finding more legitimate products out there today that can fit across multiple geographies and it's identifying those and and uh, looking for opportunities to utilize those in the market. Well, we've definitely been a leader in that area for the years, and, and, and I know your team's been very involved and instrumental in bringing a lot of those unique products to the marketplace. Uh, Dr. Hurt, I want to thank you for joining us today here on FieldLink uh, as we learn a little bit more about the research and development area here at the Helena Products Group. Thank you. Joining us from Nashville is Jody Lawrence to visit with us a little bit about the commodity markets. Uh, 
kind of kind of a weird time, Jody, as harvest wraps up across most of the nation. Uh, we're still hearing the rumbling around uh, ch- uh, things like in Russia. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit from you there. And uh, also the elections taking place here recently. And, of course, you know, they're still uh, chattering about China. Are they going to continue their zero tolerance pos- uh, policy towards COVID or not? And uh, join us from Nashville's Jody. Jody, take it away. Thank you, Bill. It's good to be back. Yeah, there there have been a lot of events, but the markets really have not gone too far one way or the other. Wheat has fallen on the market, uh, more embracing that Russia is going to renew the deal, but the deadline is still Saturday, November 19th, and no one is sure what Russia will do. Uh, It doesn't benefit, it probably benefits them more to be a part of the deal than it does not, but they are still exporting a lot of grain through rail and through uh, what you would call black market sources that one way or the other, it would not make a huge difference to Russia other than you know international perception as they continue to escalate the war in Ukraine. Yeah, a lot of confusion. Yeah, and then you look at what started this weekend, the international G7 summit of all of the international leaders, uh, President Biden and Chairman Z and all of their handlers met this morning or last night, I guess, to speak and kind of cover about here's what the, the U.S. would like to see China do. Here's what China would like to see the U.S. do. And there was no earth shattering news, no great developments that China said, oh, okay, we won't invade Taiwan or anything major. It was basically just political theater and rhetoric that accomplished very little. The big news from China is going to continue to be, as you mentioned earlier, just how they get uh, their COVID problems under control because they continue to have uh, shutdowns of major cities when there are you know, X number of infections and it has severely hurt their economy. They've been basically in a, you know, a tough recession for the better part of a year, which pulls the rest of the world into it since China is the number one uh, end user of raw materials. So that affects everything from copper all the way to soybeans. And that's really where China, the China news needs to be paid very close attention to, because if China can see their uh, their positive test rate go down or a better way to deal with it and reopen their economy, then you're going to have some traction for it. But right now, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Uh, the terrible outcome of uh, what happens with the uh, with COVID and then how their economy can be turned around. So several different nuances that they have to work through and it, and they're really struggling to do it right now. Yeah, definitely a lot of challenges. They've made that strong policy to zero tolerance and, uh, you know, it looks like they're kind of paying for it uh, here the last 12 months and uh, certainly, uh, uh, you know, no no clear end sight in mind uh, at this point. So uh, a lot of things still in limbo there. Uh, Along with other things in limbo, uh, Jody, the USDA, they came out with the, uh, you know, uh, the final reports here, and it was pretty much a non-event, as you referenced. 
Yeah, they didn't change uh, yields dramatically one way or the other. <coughs> Raised both of them just slightly, but not of a material nature to move the markets. What they did do is begin to chip away at the borders of what we know is a just a terrible start for U.S. corn and wheat exports uh, to begin the fiscal year, their fiscal year that started in September, but a decent start when it, it reflects on soybeans. And of course, China is the major buyer of those. So the big USDA report will be their final report in January that gives all of the totals for the 22 crop and the demand outlook for 23, how the ending stocks will end up both uh, in the U.S. and abroad. And with uh, corn harvest at 93% complete and beans at 96%, they will have more than enough time over the next two months to assemble all these numbers, have their test plots, and get all the farmer data back from both uh, NAS and uh, the other resources that they used on insurance claims and things like that. And of course, in making the big headlines last week, uh, Jody, the election across the United States. Are we going to have a change in power? Yes, no. We're still still trying to figure that out here as, uh, as, as votes are still being counted in some places. But uh, how is the market reacting, Jody, to, to, to the elections at this point? The, it's been muted from an election standpoint, even though uh, it's going to come back down to the Georgia runoff uh, to decide if the Democrats get a two- seat or a two vote majority between the vice president and 51 seats uh, because they uh, lost uh, Pennsylvania or or as they they the Republicans lost Pennsylvania. So that gave the Democrats the edge. The Democrats won Nevada in a very close race. They held on to that seat. So now it comes down to the runoff between Warnock and Walker in Georgia at 50-50, which would leave the Senate right where it was uh, over the last two years. But the House is going to end up in Republican control, but but not nearly by the margin that they expected at the beginning. So what this allows the Biden administration is that they will still be able to influence policy, be able to get policy through, because the Senate will act as a check on the House, vice versa, but this still leans positive towards the biofuel industry, which would support ethanol, which will support uh, soy oil for biodiesel. So uh, all in all, I think this is the ag neutral election and we will just see how policy becomes for, starts moving forward towards the next election cycle in two years. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, a lot of things in flux there and still, you know, getting ferreted out here over the next uh, several, well, 30 days uh, until that Georgia election takes place. And kind of kind of instrumental, really, if you think about it, because as you mentioned, yes, the, the Democrats may be in charge with the votes, bringing in the vice president. But, boy, it's a lot easier to not have to bring uh, the, the VP in for that final tiebreaker if not needed, if, if you're on that side of the aisle, for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Um, 
Joe, Jody, uh, you know, as we're kind of wrapping harvest up across most of the nation, uh, growers are starting to prepare a little bit. You know, w- what's the economics, uh, you know, outlook from your perspective? You know, I'm kind of catching you off guard a little bit, but what's the economics look like uh, growers as they're forward thinking and forward looking uh, to 23? Well, right now you you're seeing kind of uh, – Good news, bad news situation. As the interest rates continue to rise, you are going to be paying probably at least twice on a normal operating loan interest rate than what you were last year. And let's just for easy uh, sake say that you have a million dollar operating loan and your interest rates three and a half percent above where it was last year. That comes out to an extra three thousand dollars a month that you're paying in interest that you were not in uh, in 22. And so that comes off of working capital, comes off of improvements to your uh, farm or to your operation, increased payroll for uh, adding people. So the interest rate is uh, certainly going to be the biggest bottom line issue that we see for 23. But on the other side of this, we have seen fertilizer prices soften I wouldn't say considerably, but they have softened noticeably. So you're going to have to go into prepay season with a keen eye and a sharp pencil to be able to take advantage of your inputs that have drifted off over the past couple months as world demand has flattened and more product has come become available because of better shipping around the globe. Russia certainly exporting more uh and we'll see what their decision is uh, on the export corridor, because if they stay in the export corridor, more Russian fertilizer will be available for 23, which will help cap uh, those prices. So it's kind of a good news, bad news situation. But with the Fed, what we did see last week was the first set of monthly consumer price index or inflation numbers fall below estimates, which sent the stock market up 1,100 points. And if you continue to see inflation inflation beginning to roll over and head back towards a more normal rate, then hopefully the interest rates have peaked and we can begin to see a better outlook for lower interest rates as, as we move forward. Uh, although, For inflation to go down, they're going to have to be some negative recession issues with the broader economy that more often than not don't spill over into the ag economy because we are thankfully inside of a little bit of a bubble when you talk about some of the bigger macro issues with the economy. Definitely a lot of moving parts here as we, you know, wrap up 22 uh, harvest across most of the nation, as you referenced, about 93% plus probably completed by now in the bins. But, uh, you know, getting ready for, you know, 23 is around the corner. So, uh, Jody, want to thank you for your time today, joining us here on FieldLink and you're sharing your insight. Thank you, Bill. It's always good to be on. This episode of FieldLink is brought to you by Research. Research is an exclusive low-dust humic granular made from the highest quality humic ore source available. Research, energize your soil and elevate your crops. Joining me now here on FieldLink is Ben Wiggins. Ben works in the research and development area at the Helena Products Group in Memphis. Ben, welcome to FieldLink. Hi, thanks. 
Ben, tell us a little bit about you. Um, how, did, how did you end up uh, working here at Helena in the research and development area? Sure thing. So uh, my name is Ben Wiggins. I've been with Helena now a little over eight years. I'm a tech development manager for our crop production team. So that means for all of our bioscience, fertility projects, I take a first-hand look at these to evaluate them in a field and with our contract researchers all across the country to determine if a product has a fit within the HPG portfolio. Um, as I said, been here about eight years, predominantly worked on the crop uh, production side of things. Uh, prior to this was with uh, BASF doing numbered compound research and prior to that what my uh, education has all been in is in plant genetics. I uh, okay. was with Pioneer for a while up in Iowa before that. Okay so. and grew up uh, where? Uh, here in West Tennessee about 90 miles north of Memphis but uh, went to school in Middle Tennessee and then graduate school at University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and moved from Knoxville to Iowa, Iowa to Missouri, Missouri back to West Tennessee, and been living down this way for a little while. Now. You've made the rounds then, for sure. It's been a little bit. Awesome, awesome. And it's good to be a Vol right now, uh, right? It, it is. We, we've got a few few things need to fall our way, but we're hopefully in year two of the Josh Heupel system, we can get into the college football playoffs. There so. you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's good to good to see that brand back uh, back in the saddle here. Ben, tell us a little bit. Uh, one of our featured brands uh, this month is Research. Uh, Research is a product that uh, we brought forward a couple of years ago, uh, and growers are seeing huge benefits with this product across the nation, as well as golf courses and and, and sports turf managers are seeing huge benefits with Research Pro. Ben, you were pretty instrumental in the research side of bringing that product forward. Uh, tell us a little bit about the journey, how research really came to be. Sure thing. So we started looking at research, or the product, the code number that became research a number of years ago. Um, originally, we were looking to expand our dry humic market into a air seeder market, the product we were using and still have in the marketplace today, we're not able to put through that type of machinery. It causes issues when it goes through the distributor plates and causes buildup and it causes a lot of issues in that piece of equipment. So we went back and we're trying to reformulate some things to develop a, a, basically a harder granule. And in the process of doing that, we came up with the product that became research and we've done an extensive amount of testing, everything from fall applied uh, P and K trials to everything from um, air seeders with wheat, soybeans, and have really been impressed with how that product's uh, performed. And it removed, you know, a, a key deterrent for a lot of our locations. They didn't like handling the other humics. They e even the one we had and the and the other products in the market space all have an issue with dust. They they create a lot of dust, they cause a lot of negative connotations around it. Uh, Research is a very, very low dust product that can survive and go through all the pinch points and the fertilizer blending application scenarios and just really has shown a great benefit to our growers as far as both in a yield response and also in handling characteristics. Yeah, so when I think about research, 
I think there's really two factors. There's the agronomic performance of the product, yep. and and I know your team worked intensively in that area. And then the other side is the application ease, if you will. That's the other key area to that product. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we're using the same ore source for this as we have with our others, and that's we knew there was a long-standing benefit to using that ore and the quality that it brings to the table. So we knew by using that one, we would maintain those agronomic performances. And by getting to a more uniform preel size, what that does is it brings another level of uniformity to your applications. Mm -hmm. Whether that come through a broadcast fertilizer truck in Iowa spreading out, whole fertility blend, or all the way down to the lawn and garden guy who's putting it on a flower bed or in his front yard. Because the more uniform you can make that, the better throw pattern, the more just all around better uniformity comes out of that, just simply due to that pearl size. Right. Consistency is a key. Yep. Uh, ben, let's go back to the agronomic benefits of, you referenced the ore source. Yep. What makes the ore source with resurge, and, and, and I, I hear this a lot in the market, you know, people just talking humix as they're all in one one pool, and that's really not true. Right. Um, tell us a little bit from your perspective as a researcher, the difference from the ore source that Helena has access to versus some of the others in the marketplace. Sure thing. One of the biggest issues with a lot of other humix and their ore sources you start looking at usage rates. And the reason why a lot of these other usage rates are in the two, three, five hundred, even up to a thousand pounds of their product per acre, the reason for that is is in the manufacturing process. Um, their ore isn't as high quality. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening in their manufacturing, they add heat to this. And by adding heat to a product that quality is already lower, the the longer chains that are there, when we add heat to it, we start breaking those chains apart. Okay. When we break those chains apart, you reduce the number of active sites for nutrient holding and a lot of other different things that these humic acids can do. And when we start breaking those, performance of the product will go down. So in turn, what the competition does is they have to increase their rates okay. to make it perform hopefully as good as. But in reality, what ends up happening, grower's not going to put on a 1,000 pounds of something an acre right. that doesn't have a long-standing gypsum-type product. Uh, when we talk about these humix, you see and everybody advertises, even, a, you know, we look at a 10, 20, maybe a 40-pound rate, depending on what you're trying to accomplish for your soil type. Uh, when you look at our competitors, they, they try to come in and say, oh, yeah, we're, we're at 10 pounds an acre, just like them. And then you start looking at their label, and it's like, oh, the rate range for it actually starts at 100 pounds and goes up to that 1,000 pounds wow. per acre range. So um, just the quality of the ore source, how it's mined, the handling characteristics of it once it comes out, and then the manufacturing and making those individual perils is really where – the, the road starts dividing out between a quality product and an inferior product. So, Ben, as a researcher, uh, tell us a little bit about some of the trials uh, that you got to participate in prior to launching research, and how did that product perform in the research settings? 
Sure. So we we wanted to take a look at that in a number of different ways. Uh, one of which was to evaluate it against what we were already doing, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of our main focus. Is like we know we carry a, pr- a premium line of products. We know how they perform against our competition. If we're going to carry something on as an HPG product, it's got to perform as well, if not better, than our traditional line. And when we brought research along, it was kind of a, let's just see. We, we, we know the ore source is right. It's gone through a slight change in the manufacturing process. We just want to make sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we had done a lot of in-house handling of the product, and you had handled worlds different than a lot of these other humic type products in doing so we we felt really confident in it but that's what the research is about the research is going to tell us how it's performing in the field we can do a lot of lab studies to evaluate it how well it's breaking down that sort of thing but we started out uh, looking at fall applied stuff um, and the next step of that we actually we went out with our fall P&K blends. The next step was actually uh, simulating an air seeder okay. uh, with some fall applied winter wheat because we know in those situations uh, it, it gets to be a little hectic because um, we talk about an air seeder. And, you know, Bill, we're sitting at a table here that's about, what, eight foot long? Sure. Yeah, air seeders are not eight foot long. They're, you know, 60, 80 feet long. Right. Those air seeders don't exist in a um, in a small plot research so that we can run statistics on that, which is very key to evaluating a product. Right. And so we had to find a way to simulate that. Well, a lot of guys here in the Mid-South and across a wide geography here, they've still got old dry insecticide boxes. Yep. So they're easy to mount on and use those in place when we're running uh, and trying to simulate that air seeder application. Uh, that's how we did a lot of our air seeder trials, just simulating that kind of application method, not exactly the same way. We can do the hardness test and that kind of stuff outside of a field application. But simulating that on a small plot research basis, you know, started out, the first applications were those fall PNKs, that winter wheat trial, and then we really expanded that next spring into our spring application trials, our big air seeder stuff with soybeans, and then following that up as like a dry banded two by two, as well as like a uh, broadcasted um, dry fertilizer spreader uh, trials across corn, cotton, and in a number of other different products as well. Um, even spreading off into turf. Okay. And really got a good feeling on that after the first year was really impressed with the way not only that it performed agronomically the response that we were seeing back out with enhanced nutrient uptake into each of these crops uh, and then also at the end of the year where we're seeing that show up in a yield number Uh, we were also seeing better root development across all this kind of uh, all these different crops and really expanding that uh, we took it into the next year and we said, okay, we, we've done a lot of this. We got a really good broad set. Let's expand it even more. We doubled up our number of locations that next year and really felt really comfortable with it. Um, the next stage of, of uh, our R&D process really is where our tech service managers get involved. Okay. 
they we take it out of the uh, out of the house here of HPG, expand it into those tech service managers, and start letting them get their hands on it, get play around with it, try to fit it more locally to their specific markets. If they've got an application that's specific to them, I know we had one TSM. He moved it into a. Uh, uh, he's got a small geography that's really big with sweet potatoes. Okay. And they put a full pea, a full fertilizer blend uh, basically in the bed, turn that bed over so that that fertilizer is all incorporated, and then come back and put their transplants in the top of that. Well, that's a perfect opportunity for research because we're right there. All that fertilizer, all that dry fertilizer is right there. And otherwise, you know, if we can ban something, we're in that root zone, we're a little bit more targeted in how that's going to perform and get better access to those nutrients for that next crop. Uh, broadcasting does give you a benefit of, you know, we can cover a lot of acres really fast and right. get, get some really good coverage. And that's the predominant way that research is used. This isn't a broadcast application mm-hmm. from a fertilizer truck, but um, we've enhanced that fertilizer efficiency because we're able to get that research on in a more uniform pattern through that spray, that through that spray pattern or throw pattern. And, and, and more conveniently uh, in, in aesthetics, I, 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 you referenced <laughs> on the front end, uh, you, you don't have the dust factor. And, 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 hey, you know, in agriculture today, you know, if it doesn't look good, yep. we've, we're yep. dealing with a society that might, ooh, there must be something bad happening. Yep. And, and research is just one of those products that really minimizes that risk. Sure does. Um, when you take uh, research and what, one of the big markets that we moved into early on with research was in our rice market. Okay. Um, especially here in the Mid-South, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Boot Hill, Missouri. That was one of the first target markets for us. Um, what ended up happening there that we noticed, uh, we would blend that up in a blender at a location, and these fertilizer managers would make comments on how it, how it blended and all this kind of stuff, and everybody would write back on that urea and, and research blend, looks like salt and pepper, looks like salt and pepper. And it was the first time that these guys had really seen that because... Sure. With a lot of these other humix, they're dusty. The urea gets kind of gray. There's a lot of waste material that gets built up in the bottom between the pinch points. And sure. With this one, it flowed out real clean, looks really nice, and then has that beautiful salt and pepper look to it. Wow. Yeah. Well, salt and pepper, uh, bringing, <laughs> bringing the 80s song back, right? Uh, or band, whatever. Well, uh, I wouldn't know much about that, but I'm only 35. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Google it, right? But I, I think you bring up a great point. You know, a visual aspect of things, lower dust is really important for a lot of producers, and especially golf superintendents. Uh, oh, yeah. You think about the sports turf market, you know, keeping that dust down, uh, you know, keeping parents happy, uh, you know, especially oh, yeah. in urban markets. Uh, I think yeah. it's a huge, uh, huge win. Ben, uh, broadly speaking, how many trials roughly when you were doing the R&D side of things with research uh, a few years back? Um, sure. Thing. The, over the first two years, we were looking at close to 200. Okay. And it's only really, you know, exploded since then because not only do, do we continue to try to expand that trial database set for mm-hmm. research, but our TSMs 
get ideas from the field of like, hey, can we do it with this specific blend or can we try this different application method, that kind of thing. And it, it's one of those products that's going to be a core product for a lot of folks, a real focus product. And everybody's got a lot of good ideas about the next way to bring that around to somebody who's not using it right now. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. And I think it's always, Dr. Hurt talked about it earlier, uh, about you mentioned a couple hundred uh, trials before launching this brand. Those are third-party trials. Correct. Those are third-party independent researchers that are coming to you saying, here's the data. Yep. So a lot of people refer to them as CROs, contract research organizations. And what that is, that's no different than any kind of local plumber that he's out there, he does plumbing work. If you got a leak in your house, he'll come in and fix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for this, for these CROs, they are independent groups all across the country. Uh, we send trial work out. It's a code number to them. They don't really have a clue what it is. There's some guidelines around it. So if we're working with a pesticide, we may list and say it's this kind of active ingredient. Sure. Or if for this case, we'll tell them it's a humic acid type trial. And they go, okay. They, and it's just a safety thing for them. Right. But these CROs, they work with everyone. They, you know, they work with Helena. They work with all the big basic suppliers mm-hmm. and evaluating all their products for them because they have a expertise and a geography where not everybody's located. Yeah, it's just the economic thing, uh, right. but but you referenced the key one. They're the local expert agronomically Correct. for that geography. And when we can get a couple hundred trials like you referenced with research out there, we've got 200 plus experiences now where we can tell a story and build a narrative before we bring that product to Correct. the marketplace. Correct. Yeah. That way they've got a They've got experience with it, and so if somebody questions it, say, hey, have you ever heard of this? Well, they may not know it as the branded name, but they definitely know what it is by the way it looks and handles and performs. I think you bring up a great point uh, for our listeners. We don't go to research and say, hey, here's a new product called Research. Check it out. Correct. We say, here's a coded number. Yep. And and they don't know if it's ours or our competitors Anybody or anybody's in yeah. the world. And and they're giving you a true, hey, these are the facts. Yep. Um, and, and, and I think our customers really, uh, it's a sense of uh, reassurance yep. that we're bringing together uh, – bringing forward products that are truly tested and independently uh, evaluated. Correct. Yep. And then that way we get true reality of how these are performing in that marketplace and so that we can make the best judgment and say, yep, that has a fit within our portfolio. We should make room for it. Or, hey, we see it all the time um, uh, in fertility-type products. Mm -hmm. Somebody comes in with a new zinc product. And they have a good story about it, but they don't have any substance behind it. Right. And that's where us and the R&D department come in. We take their, validate or prove false their claims. And with research, it was one of those that literally hit it out of the park. That's awesome. Ben Wiggins, uh, Research and Development here at the Helena Products Group. I want to thank you for joining us here today on FieldLink. All right. Appreciate it, Bill. Thanks for the great conversation. You bet. Thanks for joining us here on this episode of FieldLink. Be sure to check with your Helena representative to learn more about this month's featured product, Research, where you can energize your soil and elevate your crops.